Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. Uh, we're closing out Women's History Month with somebody that's extremely special, uh, near and dear to me, is Dr. Linda Suleiman. She is an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at Northwestern Bioinformatics School of Medicine. She's also the assistant dean of medical education and the director of diversity and inclusion for graduate medical education. Dr. Suleiman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've known you so long. It, it, <laughs> it just feels good to catch up again. It's been a while since our uh, Howard University College of Medicine days. Yeah, followed by the Chicago Residency days. Yeah, 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 for sure. So let's let's uh, start by telling us about a typical day in a life for you. You you finished residency at Northwestern and then did fellowship before coming back. So um, tell us about a typical day for you. So for me, I spend four days clinically and one day um, administrative, and so. I typically am in clinic two days a week seeing patients in the office and two days a week I'm in the operating room. And then just depending on what's kind of going on, I'll either take one or two uh, research admin days versus one day a week. But it's, um, I always make sure to protect at least one day a week to um, getting my administrative work done as well as some of my research. And in the clinic, you're seeing new patients, follow-ups? Yeah, so in the clinic, I'm seeing new patients with hip and knee complaints. Uh, typically, I see an older population since I specialize in joint replacements, um, mainly dealing with arthritis, so the hip and knee, um, and any kind of reconstructive procedures that are needed. And I'm still typically seeing new patients, my post-ops, second opinions in my clinic days. Then when you get to the OR, how many cases a day are you doing? So typically, I'm doing anywhere between three and six cases a day. And then it also just depends whether I'm on call or not. I still take a trauma call. So any orthopedic trauma that comes into the hospital. Um, and, and then what percentage of your practice is uh, joint replacements versus hip replacements? Or and what else do you do? So I typically, I'm only doing hip and knee replacements or revision surgeries, meaning um, I'm redoing a prior joint replacement for either infection or um, component failure or implant failure. And then I only do trauma when I'm on call, but just typically just hip and knee specialist. Gotcha. And so what does your call look like? Yeah. So we're in a pretty big group. So we typically take um, one night of call a month and then about four to five weekends a year. So it's really not too bad. And when you're on call, you just take whatever comes in the door. Yeah, when we're on call, we take in um, whatever orthopedic trauma, hip fractures that come in. And then during the week, we kind of pass it off to each other. So, you know, if I was on call and, and, and something about an like an ankle fracture comes in, that typically my ankle partner would take it versus if he was on call, he or she was on call and the hip fracture came in, I typically would take care of that. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's a uh, huge... Uh clinical load, but you balance that with your administrative duties, which I imagine are a lot as well as the assistant dean of medical education and the director of diversity and inclusion. What are your responsibilities as the uh, assistant dean for medical education? So my role is specifically within graduate medical education. So um, I'm in charge of one, recruitment and retention of our underrepresented medicine residents and fellows. But then also educating our entire residents and fellows on 
bias, as well as cultural competency, health equity, health disparities, to better take care of our patients. And who helps you with that role of of disseminating this information? So we have an entire team. There's probably six of us that have a diversity role within graduate medical education and undergraduate medical education. So we do a lot of collaboration within the medical school and GME. Um, And then we have program managers, we have staff um, who help with this. But altogether, there's a pretty fantastic team that we have. And we just uh, hired an assistant director of diversity inclusion, who is a prior fellow here at Northwestern, who's going to be coming on as a faculty member in urogynecology. I know at every SNMA conference, Northwestern always has a huge booth. Well, you know, SNMA is near and dear to me. So I'm happy to be a lifetime member of the organization and anything that we can do to support the group. So, uh, Dr. Suleiman, obviously, we know orthopedic surgery is is a very competitive field to get into. I remember you back at uh, Howard because you had your your squad. You guys were always studying together. You, uh, Danny, Adrian. Um, (laughs) There are some good times. What did you do to set yourself up to match into orthopedic surgery? Yeah, I think... um... You know, what I tell most students is I I was exposed early. So I was lucky enough to have exposure to orthopedics as a first year med student. And, you know, Dr. Bonnie Mason to this day has been a lifelong mentor to me. She's the one who introduced me to orthopedics. Um, I did a summer internship through Nth Dimensions, which I believe every, if you're interested in orthopedics, you need to be connected with Nth Dimensions. It's a, a resources of mentors, research opportunities, and even as a resident. But being able to make connections early, not just from a research perspective, but identifying mentors who get to know you and so that when you're, you get to your sub-I, you know, sub-I's are really important in orthopedics. So most students will do several, you know, one to three away rotations um, in orthopedics and majority usually match in where they rotated. So really having people in your corner to, to guide you in how to be successful to become an orthopedic surgeon. How many sub-I's did you do? I did a home rotation, and then I did two away rotations. So three total orthopedic rotations my fourth year. Wow. And then obviously board scores are a huge component of your application. It is, but, you know, step one's going away in about a year from now. Um, it's going to be pass-fail. So I'm interested to see where people are going to put more emphasis. I don't know whether it's a third-year clerkship's are they going to put more emphasis on step two, um, research? I think every program is going to have to decide for themselves what's important for them um, in identifying, you know, a future successful orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. And when it came down to, I mean, we just passed through the match process for this year, but when it came down to looking at programs, how did you decide which programs to apply to and which programs were high up on your list? Um, so for me at the time, I was looking to be in a city. I wanted to take care of patients who were in a more urban setting. So I applied mainly East Coast. Uh, I applied in Chicago, a couple of California programs. But, you know, it's a different time. That, you know, it was 10 years ago when I applied for, for residency. But uh, I was looking for an academic program. I knew I wanted to stay in academics long term. And I was interested in research as a med student, but I really wanted to see um, kind of a bigger uh, research infrastructure and how that kind of would run. So I looked at more of the bigger, more academic programs. Um, That's where I rotated, at least, and ended up finding the right fit for me. 
But I also wanted to find mentors, one, who looked like me, which is few and far in between in academic orthopedics. And I wanted to find mentors who did not look like me, who were invested in seeing me succeed in, in becoming an academic orthopedic surgeon. And when you settled on Northwestern, you, you were the, if I recall correctly, the first African-American woman that they had as part of their orthopedic surgery residency program? Yeah. And I knew going in, I mean, there's several black women who applied this year and who are going to be, who've matched into programs that they're going to be the first black woman. There's just so few of us. I mean, black women in orthopedics make up 0.4% of orthopedic surgeons. So I knew the majority of places, the majority of orthopedic programs have never trained a, a black woman. So what I was looking for was a program that not necessarily had trained other black women because I knew that would have been an even smaller pool of programs, but I was willing to be the first as long as I, I had that community and I had that that mentorship. Wow. And then, you know, there's the, the stereotype. Every specialty has their own kind of stereotypes, but orthopedic surgery is regarded as the boys club, if you will. So with that, how did you, did you experience any um, challenging situations during residency or, and how did you get through? You know, I was lucky enough that I did not personally experienced that from my faculty or co-residents. I honestly felt it from other consulting services more so, or and I, and I felt it more so from nursing and sometimes even patients. And I still, to this day, I have patients who walk into my clinic and ask me, are you the one doing your surgery? the surgery? And you came to my clinic. But you're on the website. Right. They can look at me, they see my name, they come to my clinic and I still get asked, well, are you the one doing the surgery? So it doesn't cease to amaze me. The number of times I'm, I still, you know, several years into practice, I'm still the one, yes, I'm, I'm the surgeon. But, you know, they just don't see enough of us. And the perception is that it's, it's a six foot five, you know, white male who's going to be your typical orthopedic surgeon. And I don't think that's the mold anymore. And I think the whole boys club uh, is, is not going to be there for too much longer. I think we're, I think even this year in our match, you know, nationally, you know, things I saw on Twitter, there are more black women who just matched into orthopedics this year than there are black female orthopedic residents currently in residency. Wow. So we're, we're making leaps and bounds. And, it, you know, it's nice to see that the efforts we're making in diversity and inclusion are coming to fruition. Yeah, that's uh, very exciting and, and I'm sure very rewarding uh, for all the, the work that you've put into it. So, Dr. Silliman, just about 18 months ago, you gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. I think a lot of the things that people worry about, especially women going into medicine and surgical specialties, worry about uh, balancing the time between their practice and um, having children, raising children, um, having a family. Uh, How did you navigate that? Yeah, I think uh, my situation was probably uh, on the extreme side. I delivered... Um, early. I delivered at 26 weeks due to preeclampsia. And I was in the middle of my board collection where, where, where you collect cases. So it was high stress time. And my daughter spent three months in the NICU. And so I ended up going back to practicing a month after I delivered to finish my board collection. And then I, I took my maternity leave when she got home from the hospital. But, you know, there's no way I would have made it through all of that without good partners who saw my patients, they lightened my caseload for me, they saw my post-op patients, and they just said, you know, you take care of yourself and you take care of your family, and this will all be here when you get back. Um, and and a lot of people don't have that, that, that type of support, and I was lucky enough to have that. 
because it was probably one of the scariest times I've experienced. But mm. with good people to work with and good colleagues, you make it through on the other side. It's uh, definitely true. Uh, is there ever is there a good time or a better time to have children during the process of uh, medical school residency uh, practice, in your opinion? No, there's never going to be a good time. You're either taking time away from your training or you're taking time away from your practice. You know, I got married when I was at the end of my fourth year residency and, you know, I wanted to wait till I wasn't attending, but that was my own personal choice where I had a little bit more control of my time. Um, and actually have, I got more maternity leave as a faculty member than I would have as a resident. And, you know, surgery is always going to be there. Training is always going to be there. Your practice is always going to be there. So there's never going to be a good time. You just got to make it with if it's something important to you, you know, things will, will fall into place. So, Dr. Suleiman, I mean, in addition to all the things you've accomplished thus far, I saw you recently on uh, Northwestern's website because you performed the first robotic total joint replacement. Is that correct? At that, at that uh, institution? Total knee replacement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that. How was it? Yeah, it's been, it was exciting. Um, being able to bring new technology to our patients at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. And um, it's, you know, I always wanted to to learn robotics when I was a resident, but didn't have that opportunity. We didn't have a robot. And when I went to my my chairman, you know, over a year ago to say, you know, I, I want to be doing robotic knee replacements here. He was just very supportive on making it happen. Um, and I think it's been a great educational tool and it, it's been great for our patients as far as recovery. Yeah. So how do you... What's the process for picking up a new skill as an attending physician? So I did um, some robotic and navigation as a fellowship in my fellowship. So I did have skills prior, but then I, I recertified my robotic certification as an attending. And what I did was I had um, I went to other places that were doing robotics at high volumes and mentors of mine and learning from them. And I had the, I was lucky enough that one of my mentors came during my first day doing robotics to be there and to support me. Um, and it's been great since. Yeah. I know as a medical student, I didn't realize that, uh, as an attending, you could still learn new stuff. I know I still learn new stuff, uh, you know, a couple years out. Learning never stops. It never stops. It never stops. In addition to all the stuff you're doing it, you know, congratulations. Since I saw the, le- the list that was recently uh, put out, the national minority quality forum announced, uh, their list of the 2021 40 under 40 leaders in minority health award recipients and was so thrilled to see your name on the list as well as your husband's name. Yeah, it was, it was really nice to see that. Um, I mean, there's the National Minority Quality Forum has had a legacy of recognizing really leaders in minority health. And it's just such an honor to be uh, among those uh, among our colleagues who you know I look up to in this field. I and mean, when it comes to uh, minority health and the patients and the patient population that you see, what are some of the healthcare disparities that you've noticed within your patient population? Yeah, so within joint replacements, you know, we find that black and brown patients are less likely to utilize uh, a joint replacement. They're less likely to be referred to an orthopedic surgeon. They present with worse radiographs as far as the severity of their arthritis. And then when we look at their functional disability, their scores um, are a lot lower. So they're, they're more debilitated and still not being offered uh, a joint replacement. I think, you know, it, there's many facets to that, but I think one of the main players is that we're a specialty that's just not diverse. 
And so I would say 65% of my patient population are African-American. And I have patients who drive from St. Louis, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, just to see a a surgeon of color to do their joint replacement. And so we need more of us. Um, You know, our patients shouldn't have to wait. We need to create those, the access to increasing functional rehabilitation. And I think there's just not been a lot of focus on disparities in musculoskeletal care, to be honest. I think it's never been a focus nationally, but you know, you, in order to work, in order to support your family, in order to be heart healthy, in order to control your diabetes, you got to move and, and be functional and be able to walk. And we, and we forget about uh, that aspect. So Dr. Stillman, as a first-generation uh, Somalian-American, you know, how, how proud are your, your parents uh, of you? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be here without them. My parents, you know, picked up and left everything behind when the Civil War started. And they have been nothing but supportive and reinforcing that, you know, education is key. And even though we didn't have very much, um, they did everything they can and and still do to create those opportunities for for me and my siblings. So I just hope to make them proud and the values they've instilled in helping our community, I think, still ring strongly in, in my day to day. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, definitely looking back, I mean, having had the privilege to know you for quite a few years. Um, you've always been someone I've looked up to because you always had a vision in my mind. Like you always knew where you wanted to be and you wanted to accomplish this uh, goal of getting into this incredibly talented specialty and then being able to work with you or, or at least know you in Chicago and, and see all the the progressions you've made in your field. Um, it's just incredible. I'm a fan. Uh, keep up the hard work. I appreciate you. You know, I've got great colleagues to share in this journey with. Yes. So for folks that are interested um, in pursuing the field of orthopedic surgery, you know, what advice would you have for them, you know, over the next couple of years as they're setting up their applications or they may be in medical school or considering this field? You know, many people will tell you orthopedics is too hard, it's too competitive and it's and it's not for you. Um, and I just, the biggest advice I have is never let anybody tell you, you cannot be an orthopedic surgeon. Our community needs people of color. Our community needs women, female surgeons. So the biggest advice I have is, you know, work every day on that path to making yourself the best applicant, whether it's studying for your boards, whether it's your clinical grades. And it's not just about working hard only on an orthopedics rotation, but just come out being a great physician. And that's what's going to make you a great surgeon. Stay hungry is what, is what I tell students. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can folks uh, kind of keep track of your progress? Are you, um, I know you're, you're on Twitter, but where else can we uh, see all the things you're up to? Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter and I have an Instagram as well. And, and what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is Linda Suleman MD. And my Instagram is Linda Sules, S-U-L-E-S. Well, we'll definitely be uh, keeping an eye on you and, and seeing all the amazing things that, that you're going to do in the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley.